The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie, and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We go up until 7 o'clock, 90 minutes of sports talk. So if you want to get in, you can. Reach out to me on Twitter at WDEV. Radio Brady. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, will stop by at 545 to discuss the Patriots and Dolphins heading into Week 15, a win that the Patriots desperately need to stay alive in the AFC playoff race. And uh, and let's just get to that right off the top. So you're telling me there's a chance. The path is narrow, but the path is still alive after what we saw yesterday. So the Raiders lose to the Chargers, and that keeps the door open for the Patriots. When you really look at it, you you can't possibly think that the Patriots are actually going to pull this stuff off. But the chance is still there. The path is still open. Here's what the Patriots need in order to make the playoffs. So the Pats have to win out. They've got to beat Miami, who they are underdogs against. They've got to beat Buffalo, who they will be underdogs against. And they've got to then beat the Jets, who they should beat. Then they need the Dolphins to lose two of their final three. One would be against the Patriots, so then they'd have to lose one of their last two, either the Raiders or against Buffalo. That is possible. The Dolphins could lose two of their final three. The thing that's not going to happen, and the thing that the Patriots really need to happen, is that the Ravens need to lose two of their last three also. So all these things need to happen. Pats need to win out. Dolphins need to lose two or three. And the Ravens have to lose two of three. But the Ravens play the Jaguars, who are right now 1-12. And then they play the Giants. And then they play the Bengals, who don't have Joe, Joe Burrow in Week 17. That feels nearly impossible. And that is why the Patriots' playoff hopes are so low right now. They were 2% after Monday night's game between the Browns and... Uh, and the Ravens, I got to imagine they went up slightly after the Raiders lost yesterday. But Pats need to win all three. Dolphins need to lose the Pats game and then one of their last two. And then the Ravens need to lose two or three when they're playing three teams that are average to bad. I mean, the Giants are average. The other two teams they play are bad. I do think, examining this stuff, I do think it's possible the Patriots win out. But I think it's unlikely. I do think they can beat Miami, and I do think they can beat the Jets. Beating Buffalo, I mean, we can all agree, it's going to be the hardest one of these for a few reasons. The game is at home for the Patriots, so that is a benefit, but Buffalo's going to have two extra days to get ready for that game, to get healthy, to get right, to study all the above. So they play Saturday. They play tomorrow against Denver, and then that game against the Patriots is on Monday. So Instead of playing Sunday, Sunday, they're going to play Saturday, Monday. So they have two extra games or two extra days to get ready. Pats have one. Buffalo has two. Buffalo gets an extra day to watch the Patriots. They're going to be able to watch them live, which I think is a huge difference versus just watching on tape. And Buffalo is going to have something to play for. So they're going to be focused and motivated, and there won't be a letdown. They're 10-3. and They're trying to battle for the number two seed in the AFC playoff picture with Pittsburgh. They'll be motivated. So they have reason to play. They have reason to play everyone and play hard. The, again, the Baltimore one is the one that won't happen. This is a moot point. The Patriots could win out, finish 9-7, and seven and still not get in because Baltimore has such an easy schedule at the end. I mean, they're trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to maybe move up in seeding. So they're going to be motivated and play hard. They're taking on Jacksonville, who's not actively trying to win. They're going to take on Cincy, who doesn't have Joe Burrow, who's not very good. And then the Giants, who... I don't know what they'll look like in Week 16, but the Giants aren't as good as the Ravens, at least at their core. It's going to be very, very weird this week to watch games and be scoreboard watching for the Patriots. That's not a feeling 
that we ever have. Like scoreboard watching at the end of a season is very much a baseball playoff pennant chase type thing. Oh, we're battling for the second wild card. Let's see if okay, did Toronto beat the Yankees? Okay, now we're a game and a half ahead. Oh, we're a half game behind now. That's what it feels that that's baseball. That's baseball on September 10th. This doesn't feel like I mean watching scoreboard watching in football when you're a Patriots fan is like something foreign to me that we haven't seen in 20 years. Usually we're only scoreboard watching. Are we going to get the number one seed? Are we going to have home field advantage? Now you're scoreboard watching, seeing, hey, can miracles happen? And miracles do happen, but it doesn't feel like this miracle is going to happen because it doesn't feel like Baltimore will lose two of three. And, I mean, to potentially and likely be watching playoff football this year without the Patriots in it, yeah, there will be stress-free moments, but it will be weird and I'm not going to sit here and say that it's going to be fun to watch playoff football and have the Patriots not be in it. It's going to be it's going to be terrible. It's going to be miserable. Scoreboard watching on in week 15 and then knowing it probably won't matter. This is not a position that I I don't want to do this very often. Like Detroit Lions fans, like that's you're meant for heartache. Patriot fans are not meant for heartache. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Guys, let's get some music in here. Let's get ready for the uh, six-pack of questions. So we're past 5 o'clock. Crack one open. Weekend starts for most of you. Mine starts at 7 o'clock. So let's crack one open. Let's get to our six-pack of NFL questions. All right, question number one, the game I'm most looking forward to watching. That's a game tomorrow. That's Bills at Broncos. It's a Saturday night game. The Bills just played a high-profile Sunday night football game against Pittsburgh, against a team they're battling with in the AFC playoff picture. Now, can they go on the road on a short week and play a team that has nothing to lose? Denver has nothing to lose. They're not playing for anything. Drew Locke is playing to maybe solidify his spot in Denver, but beyond that, they're they're not they're going to play free. They're going to play loose. They're going to take chances. They might go for it on fourth and three when they normally wouldn't. They might go for a two-point conversion when they normally wouldn't. Teams with nothing to play for at the end of a year are dangerous because they just play. They don't go by the book. And they're there to play spoiler. That is what's motivating them. Buffalo is significantly better than Denver. But we've talked before. Part of the NFL is proving you can come off emotional games. Wins or losses and make it count the next week. Can you come off an emotional win or off an emotional loss, and can you play well the following week, regardless of what happened the week before? Buffalo beats Pittsburgh in a nationally televised game. They've got a nationally televised game with New England coming up next week. Can they go on the road and play in Denver, coming off an emotional win, and and put together a standalone great performance again tomorrow. This is a test for Buffalo. They're, I know who's better. Buffalo's better. This is about resolve, about toughness, about mental toughness, and about proving week in and week out that you're good. Can Buffalo go on the road and beat Denver tomorrow? Weird game, right? Early game on a Saturday? That is odd. Can they go out and do something that they're not usually asked to do which is play on Saturday and then play on the road. Question number two, the 90-day fiancé game, the game I have no interest in, the game I'd rather watch anything other than watch this game. Uh, For me, it's Monday Night Football. Zero interest in Steelers at Bengals. It's 11-2. It's against 2-10-1. Joe Burrow's not playing. The Steelers drop too many passes. I'm not interested in them. I'm kind of footballed out after Saturday night and after Sunday and after college football. Monday, no, no, no. With this game, Monday's turning into me time. I, I'll wrap Christmas presents. I don't need to watch Steelers and Bengals. Question number three, the player I'm most interested to watch, that's Drew Brees, and that's really not even close. He's coming off nearly a dozen broken ribs. And now he's playing against the best team in the NFL. And oh, by the way, he's going to do it without his best receiver in Michael Thomas. I mean, you talk about deck stacked against you. You're playing Patrick Mahomes. You're playing the best team in football. And you're playing without your best receiver. And you're coming off nearly 12 broken ribs. Drew Brees, I I question why he's playing in this game. I understand it. It's a must-win game as far as the chance to get home field advantage. But I can't think that Drew Brees is going to come out 
and be incredibly successful here. I think there's going to be some kind of watered-down offense meant to protect Drew Brees, and he doesn't have Michael Thomas on the outside. They need this game. I don't think they're going to get it, but can Brees stay healthy? Can he be efficient, can be effective, and can they run the kind of offense that they want to run, that they should be running, that they need to run to win this game, or do they have to pull back in order to keep Brees safe? I, I think they're going to have to pull back because that Chiefs team they're going for a number one seed. They're going for home field advantage. They have some fans at their games. That matters to them. Cold weather in Kansas City, Arrowhead with however many fans are there, they want the one seed. They're not going to go easy on Drew Brees. A lot of people are wondering why Brees is playing in this game. All right, question number four. Now we move to our Patriots portion of the six-pack of questions. Questions four through six are Patriots questions. The Patriots win this game if, fill in the blank. The Patriots win this game if. They can just do what they do to rookie quarterbacks. It sounds simplistic, and it is. They win this game if they can just do what they do to rookie quarterbacks. Bill Belichick is 20-5. and five against first-year quarterbacks. He's 20-5 and five while, coaching, while coaching New England against rookie quarterbacks. 20-5. and five. He's got an 800 winning percentage against rookie quarterbacks, okay? I mean, Justin Herbert, we think, is further along than Tua. We think he's more dynamic than Tua, and the Patriots beat him 45 to nothing and held him to his lowest passer rating of the season and held him to barely 200 yards and held him to a shutout. If Belichick can do that to Herbert in a Herbert-led offense, which is better than this Miami offense by far, then I got to think that there's something he can dial up to make life really, really tough for Tua to the point where the Patriots could win this game. Where you have to be aware is that the Dolphins are a top three special teams unit. The Chargers are, are a dumpster fire on special teams. Patriots aren't going to be returning punts and blocking kicks in this game. They're going to have to earn it. They're going to have to play solid enough offense, and they're going to have to confuse Tua and probably take the ball away on defense. Tua also isn't going to have a lot of help in this game. He doesn't have great weapons anyways, but he's down to you know, subpar running backs. His best offensive weapon, Mike Kosicki, is battered and hasn't been practicing this week. Devontae Parker hasn't been practicing, hasn't played as much recently. So Tua's not going to get a lot of help from his teammates in this one. Pats can win this game if they just do what they usually do to rookie quarterbacks. Question five, Patriots lose this game if, if the Patriots are going to lose this game, it's going to be because of, well, because the Pats cannot give Tua everything easy underneath. He doesn't throw the ball deep down the field very much, okay? He's, throw, he's thrown six touchdowns on balls 10 yards through the air, like 10 yards or less through the air. Tua makes a living just throwing, just taking what the defense gives him. Well, don't give him that, okay? Tua's judicious with the football. He's smart. He's conservative. He's got injuries around him. He's not going to take a lot of chances. If the Pats allow the ball to be thrown short consistently, then there's going to be a chance for a catch and run, a chance for missed tackles, and the Patriots have missed tackles. They need to shut down the underneath game and force Tua over the top because Tua doesn't have – the desire to go over the top, and he doesn't have the the weapons around him to go over the top. And the Pats have J.C. Jackson, second in the league in interceptions. Stephon Gilmore, Defensive Player of the Year. I'll take my chances with the Patriots' defense and the Pats' secondary going one-on-one -on -one with guys on the outside. I'll take that chance. What I can't have is to a dump, 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 dump down the field, and then all of a sudden a broken tackle leads to a 28-yard gain and a broken tackle leads to an 18-yard gain. I can't have that. Tua wants to get comfortable. He wants to throw it short. He wants to just get rid of the ball and allow guys to do the work for him. I need to force him to beat me over the top because that is what I don't think that he can do. All right, question number six. It's our final question for the week, guys. You can cut the music. The final score prediction. I'm. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be low scoring. It's going to be 16-12. to 12. In favor of the Patriots. Patriots are going to win this game 16-12. to It will not be pretty to watch. It will not be great to listen to, except for Bob Sosie and Zoe. They make it great to listen to. I think the Pats will be able to run the ball. I think they'll hold the ball as much as I don't want them to. I think they'll be judicious and smart and also not turn it over. I think they'll just do what they do. 
But for Miami, they're just not as good as their record indicates. They're on the come up. There's things to like there. But if they come up on a team that doesn't beat themselves, then it's hard for them to win. The Dolphins are predicated on taking the ball away. If they can't do that, then there's going to be problems. And the Pats, they're not going to beat themselves. They're going to play disciplined, sound football, I believe. And the Pats are going to win this game 16-12. to I think it says more about where Miami's at than where New England is at. Miami's not as good as their record indicates. And the Patriots are a good enough team to take advantage of your shortcomings. And the Dolphins' shortcomings are injuries, and they can't throw the ball over the top. It's the Brady Farkas Show. All thanks to the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston Kia, family-owned and operated. They will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. All right, we're looking at the Patriots next week also. Well, this Sunday, we're looking at the Pats all times in the short term. But we're also looking at the Patriots' future. Did we see the next Patriots quarterback on display last night? Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. That's next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Thank you. Football is a complicated game. It's full of plays. John! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot route! I don't. What is hot route? And numbers and statistics. So how do we even understand the game? <laughs> it's our weekly conversation with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots getting ready for the Dolphins, a rematch of week one, a game in which the Patriots won, and a uh, a game that gave us all hope for Cam Newton for this season. So tides have definitely turned heading into this matchup in week 15. Talking about it with us as he does every Friday, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I mean, uh, it's crazy that we're already to week 15, but I'm, ha- I'm happy we're here. Before we get to the to the Patriots and the Dolphins, um, everybody on Twitter and Pat's Nation yesterday says, after what we saw last night, Marcus Mariota, mark it down, 2021. Uh, did you think that how Mariota played yesterday is what we kind of all thought Cam would be able to do this year? I think so. I think Mariota has a little bit better arm talent at this point and hence why he was able to complete more passes. Um, He's also like weirdly faster, right? (laughs) So he was more explosive in the run game, whereas Cam, uh, I think, is more of a of a, of a stronger runner, I guess. Um, But yeah, I think that that's what Pat's fans sort of thought extrapolated from, um, you know, when they ended up getting, uh, you know, Cam and Cam played well early in the season. It's also, though, the game presented an interesting dichotomy to me because, yeah, Mariota played well, especially in the situation he was in. But on the other side, you had Justin Herbert. Like, that's the situation that I want. Like, at this point, I'd rather just draft the quarterback and any other stopgap is just that. I mean, I think when you're watching that game, you should have been coming out of it thinking, I want the guy like Herbert, not the guy like Mariota. Well, 100%. I think everybody sees sort of sustainable quarterback play when they see it. And, you know, when we all saw Mahomes, that was what we thought was going to be the thing, right? And 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 that has turned out to be the case. Um, you know, even Wentz, when he had, you know, his strong start, th- that made sense to us, right? And, and, you know, when we see somebody who, you know, is maybe too limited as a passer, um, I think we rightly gravitate away because it, it's just not sustainable at the NFL level. Um, and we've seen that with with New England. New England's, I think, had an impressive season given all their limitations, but obviously the limitations are have been too much in some games. I think the Patriots will beat the uh, will beat the Jets in Week 17, and I think they have a reasonable chance to beat the Dolphins coming up. But either way, they went they finished with seven wins or eight wins. They're going to be picking somewhere in that 13 to 17 range. At some point, are you too low in the first round to take what we define as a transformational quarterback? Probably. Right. I mean, you look at the history of quarterbacks taken and the, it's always weird to throw these endpoints out. But but let's just say 10 to 32. Right. We've seen Lamar. He's been great. Mahomes and Watson. But you think about the history of the quarterbacks in that range. You're looking at Josh Rosen. You're looking at Jake Cutler's probably the best of those groups. You know, the, that bunch. Uh, Brady Quinn, Derek Anderson, Josh Freeman, like quarterbacks in that, you know, uh, EJ Manuel quarterbacks sort of in that like um you know, outside the top 10 before the first round is over quarter, like there's there, they haven't been successful. Right. And, and 
you're you're probably much better off, even though the fifth year option is valuable, of taking a guy in the second or third round and developing him. Now, Patriots fans probably want a quicker ascension to uh, stardom, and that's also less likely when you take a quarterback late. So, I think I think this might be the, one of the rare situations where the Pats trade up. Hmm. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus with us here. You can check them out at PFF.com. They are uh, an unbelievable resource, whether you're gambling, playing fantasy, just looking to get smarter as a football fan. I came to this revelation yesterday, and tell me if I'm right. Are the Dolphins this year just last year's Patriots? They've beefed up the record on a garbage schedule. They have an elite secondary player in Xavier Howard like Stephon Gilmore, and they've had an unsustainable amount of turnovers forced, like the Patriots said last year. Are the Dolphins that good heading into this matchup? No, I think, well, the markets have the the Dolphins favored. It was two and a half uh, early in the week. Now it's one and a half. I think sharp people are gravitating towards New England, and I think it makes sense. Um, we we would say if you, you, you took out the betting information, like we would have New England favored in this one. Um, because of the things that you're describing, like, you know, the, the quarterback situation, what, like the, the, the other thing is just that the weapons for Miami are all gone, right? There's a ton of injuries yeah. that Parker, Gesicki, uh, Grant, uh, the running back situation, like Tua, you know, we're going to have a hard time evaluating him based on this because he's dealing with a deck of cards that is, you know, not very good and uh, very similar to last year's Patriots where they're going to need some defensive scores. They're going to need some, um, you know, uh, you know, special teams brilliance. And, you know, that's hard to bank on week to week. You know, you have taught me that turnovers is something that is unsustainable year to year. Even good defense is unsustainable year to year. So I think about the Patriots situation moving forward and, okay, Buffalo I think is sustainably good, but I'm not sure that the Dolphins are any even very good next year at this rate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's tricky. I mean, the, the thing that I think you have to, you have to wonder is, you know, the obviously the biggest, the biggest variable is the ascension of the quarterback position. And I, you know, Tua, it was never going to be a guy that wowed you with physical traits. Um, but he was going to, he, he's sort of like Drew Brees, right? But yeah. Drew Brees took what he was a loser in San Diego for three years before he won in 2004 with them and even then like he wasn't the brilliant quarterback we saw until he got into a different situation in new orleans with a great offensive coach now i think chan gailey's done a great job for them um and, and has and has been able to elevate that team beyond what the quarterback position's given them but I, for tua it was it was always going to be i think a slower road because his his tools were not necessarily as vibrant as Justin Herbert, right? And 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 we've seen Justin Herbert in sort of what I would classify as a bunch of meaningless games look the part. Tua's gonna Tua's playing in meaningful games, um, and you know we we've seen him sort of buttoned up a little bit. Uh, it, it remains to be seen. I think building the defense the way they have done has been a smart move. I just I just don't know if that's the reason, quote unquote, they're going to win sustainably in the future. I think that this game is going to be really ugly to watch. And early in the week, I really wanted the Patriots to just say, hey, we're almost out of the playoffs. Let's learn about Cam. Let's learn about the receivers. and Let's just throw it 30 times and see what happens. And you think about it now. The Pats want to win. They're going to play to win. The Dolphins' secondary is good. They force a lot of interceptions. Xavier Howard is a defensive player of the year candidate. I think they're going to run the ball 45 times in this game. That might be their best chance to win, but I don't think it's going to be fun to watch. Can they win playing that way against this team? I think it's the way that they have to, right? Their receivers, I think, are overmatched uh, against Miami unless they go into the slot with Igbenogany, the first-round pick, the middle of the two, uh, the middle of the three that they had for Miami has been a below-replacement-level player so far as a rookie. But if they try to challenge them on the outside, it's going to be tough, uh, especially given Cam's inaccuracy issues. And also, I mean, have you, have, you're getting, I've gotten the impression that New England simply doesn't trust Cam to throw the ball on the outside. Um, and so unfortunately, like, I do think they're going to run the ball a lot. Miami has been weaker against the run. They're very similar, I think, to the Pats in the past because they have some of the same players where they'll, they'll concede some run to, to sort of bait teams into getting to thir- in a third and three or third and four against them, um, to, in which case to drop pass or a batted ball at the line of scrimmage it results in a punt. Um, and, and, you know, so I think that that'll be kind of how New England and, and probably why this game has one of the lowest totals of the weekend at 41 and a half. So, so I do a podcast with Doug Flutie, and he's taught me a lot about quarterback play. And Flutie hates running the ball at all. He only wants to throw it. He wants to throw it every single play, practically. That's just how he, he views football. I don't know that they don't trust. 
I don't know that they don't trust Cam, but what Flutie and I have surmised is that Cam's biggest issue has always been accuracy. And if you're going to run on first down, run on second down, and leave him with third down, he's got to go one for one on that series to keep the drive going. (laughs) Whereas he just threw it three times, one for three, 12 yards first down. Like That's how Flutie thinks about it. So I think the style of offense is, yeah, it is good for them because they have good running backs and a decent O-line, but it isn't great to cover up Cam's biggest weakness, which is accuracy. A hundred percent. I think this, like, this is reminiscent of when Flutie played, right? I mean, yes. that was that was how the game was played, where it was run the ball, run the ball, throw the ball on third down. But you know, a, a guy as smart as Doug knows, right? That put him act. It was easier to throw up from play action on first down than it was to throw when everybody knew you were going to throw on third down. And and that's probably why the league has seen such a, 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 a an elevation in pass inefficiency. The, the passes that these guys throw are from easier circumstances now, except for New England, right? Because they're they're trying to run the football. They're trying to hide their quarterback. But the, the process of hiding your quarterback gives him harder situations when you actually unveil him. So I, that's that was the frustrating part of the Rams game is I thought that, you know, they didn't trust Cam enough. And to me, I understand the investment was so low, but if you're going to have him in there, you might as well trust him to throw the football, especially in circumstances where it's easier to. The other thing that we've determined is that they've clearly made it so that he is risk averse. He does not want to turn the football over. They've clearly told him to not turn the football over. So um, he does leave some things on the table. I'm just in favor of taking the reins off and just saying, hey, let's just go and see what happens. And if he goes nine for 27 with three picks, do we have an answer? But when he steps back there and throws in play action and kind of plays free, it doesn't look as bad as kind of what we think it does. Well, and all you have to do is look north a little bit to, uh, you know, to Buffalo, right? I mean, Buffalo, Josh Allen's a very flawed player, but what did Buffalo do? Well, it, it's better to know, right? And and what Buffalo did was they they signed Stephon or they traded for Stephon Diggs, they signed John Brown, they signed Cole Beasley, they got the they got together a uh, reasonable offensive line, and uh, and at, at the expense of their defense, by the way. Yeah. Um, and said, look, if Josh Allen stinks, we're going to find out, you know, and we're going to find out quickly because, you know, we don't have all the time in the world. And, you know, that, that's that been the problem with the Jets. Like, do we really know if Sam Darnold stinks? I think he does, but there's a lot of confounders there. The Bills have taken out all the confounders and said, look, we're going to play Josh Allen the way that, you know, that, that he should be played. And if he can't succeed under these circumstances, then he can't succeed in any circumstances. And obviously we've seen Allen has succeeded. Um, same things, you know, true. Like the longer you, you, you hide your quarterback, the longer you prolong the decision. And maybe they've already made the decision. Maybe they know that cam's not the answer, um, because of what they've seen in practice and they don't want to show us, uh, you know, the, the, the solution, you know, they don't want to show us their work, but, but at the same time, I just think it's a tough team building strategy to continue to hide your quarterback, find out quickly, fail quickly, fail quickly is probably one of the best life pieces of life advice anybody can give. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. The plan for the Patriots has always been get weapons in the offseason. They have cap space. There's good receivers that are available. I am starting to get worried now. I saw what Stephon Diggs said earlier this week about why he wanted him out of Minnesota, that they were becoming too run heavy. I'm starting to wonder, will receivers not want to come to New England this offseason? Like, that is now a fear to me that it wasn't there a week ago. It, I mean, it's 100%. And, and you, if you're a Vikings fan, you have to wonder if that's going to happen with Justin Jefferson, too, yeah. once uh, you know you get too far in the future with him. But it's an absolutely fair criticism. And, you know, and we've seen it. Like, you know, Patriots are a, the best franchise in NFL history, but we've seen Joey Galloway not work. We've seen Chad Johnson really not work. We've seen Reggie Wayne not work. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the... It, Everybody wants to play for the Patriots, except for the players that don't want, end up wanting to play for the Patriots, mm. right? And so it's not as trivial as, well, this is a, the stor- most storied franchise in the history of the league. They do have to do some things, I think, to attract players now because Brady's gone and because they're trying to rebuild. And it's not going to be as, as simple as I think it, it would be at first blush. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. Check him out at pff.com. He's with us every single week, and they do great work throughout the week on game day, post-game. Everything there at PFF is great. So, Eric, man, we appreciate it. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy the games. You too. There he goes, Eric Eager. What we'll do, we'll step aside. We'll get you into your CBS News update, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll get to our Eric Eager takeaways, but also all this Marcus Mariota love. Should we even want him in Foxborough next year? Because I don't. Not like this. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show. 
Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio.com. Reminder to subscribe to the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Also, at WDEV Radio.com, you can uh, get all our exclusive interviews. we got some extras in there as well as our full show. We were just talking with Eric Eager. We'll get to our takeaways in a couple of minutes. But I asked Eric Eager about Marcus Mariota, and it's truly amazing that Last night on Twitter during Thursday Night Football, as Mariota was coming into the game in relief of the injured Derek Carr, it's amazing just how nuts social media went calling for Mariota to be the Patriots quarterback in 2021. I don't want Marcus Mariota to be the Patriots quarterback in 2021 under the circumstances that it would take. And let me explain. First, first though, before I do that. What Mariota did yesterday was incredibly impressive. He deserves a lot of respect for that. He goes 17 of 28, 220-plus yards, throws a touchdown, runs for nearly 90 yards in the score. Under the circumstances, you come off the bench cold. He's barely been active this year. He's only been active in three games. Like These are trying circumstances in a playoff race, and he comes in and plays very, very well. But it sent the internet into a complete tailspin. And again, I don't want... Marcus Mariota to be the quarterback under these circumstances. And the reason why is because he's under contract for next year. I have to trade for him. And I don't know what that would cost, and I don't think I want to pay that. Backup quarterbacks are hugely important to teams. When good teams lose their quarterbacks, their seasons are usually over. And the backup quarterback has become a huge investment for good teams that want to protect their season against that. Look, when Aaron Rodgers got hurt a couple years ago and he doesn't play most of the year, Packers are garbage. Season's over. Ben Roethlisberger gets injured early last year, out for most of the year. Steelers don't make the playoffs. Played, fought hard. Doc Hodges, cute story. They finish 8-8. Eight and eight. They don't make the playoffs. So when a good quarterback gets injured, a season is usually over. The Raiders have protected against that by bringing in Mar- by bringing in Mariota. And if you're going to pry that level of security away from them, that's going to cost you. And I don't want to pay that cost. If it's a third-round pick, I don't want it. If it's a fourth, two-fourths, I don't want it. I would rather draft a quarterback, draft and develop, than go and trade for Mariota because – under my plan, we're drafting a quarterback. And if you sign a stopgap, you're going to sign a stopgap. I'd rather spend money, $5 million, $8 million. I'd rather spend money than spend draft capital. Because when I bring in my young quarterback, I'm going to need to surround him with weapons. And if I trade a pick or I trade two picks for Mariota, I am now taking away one to two opportunities to give that quarterback weapons and to help that quarterback grow. I do not want to stunt my young quarterback's growth in any way. And trading a pick to get Mariota would stunt his growth. And he's only here for a year. He's under contract for one year. He's not my long-term answer. I'm not trading for him. Backup quarterbacks are hugely valuable. This isn't just a throwaway seventh-rounder if we have to give the Raiders. There's going to be some real substance needed to acquire Mariota. Nick Foles as a backup saved the Eagles season and won a Super Bowl. That keyed into everybody how important a competent and pretty darn good backup quarterback is. And that guy, if you want to get if you want to get him away from Las Vegas, he's going to cost you real assets and they're assets that I want to hold on to. I do not want to give away for a rental stopgap player. If I need a stopgap, then I'll just sign Cam again, or I'll sign Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tyrod Taylor. I'd rather spend the money to bring in somebody to keep the seat warm than go trade real assets for. That That is not worth it to me. If, if Mariota was cut and he could come here and sign for $7 million and keep the seat warm, well, that's a different story. But trading for him, that is something I'm not willing to do. What we saw last night was more proof of why you should want to draft the quarterback. You should have walked away from that game not thinking about Mariota. You should have walked away from that game thinking about Justin Herbert. 
That's the guy that you should have been impressed by. That's the guy that you should have been thinking, okay, that's the type of player that we want. You can build around him for five years, and you can put pieces around him. That should be the standard. If you walked away from the game thinking about Mariota, you're doing it wrong. Herbert's the guy. The young guy is the guy. The rookie is the guy. Big, strong, mobile, big arm, cerebral, tough, and inexpensive. We've said this before. This situation, this is the golden ticket. The young quarterback you can build around. It's working in Cleveland. It's working in Buffalo. It worked for the Rams. It worked for Kansas City. They won a Super Bowl. The Rams got to a Super Bowl. Cleveland's going to get to the playoffs, knock on wood, in all hope. Baltimore has been able to be really good because they've been able to surround Lamar Jackson with help. Help on offense, help on defense. This is the golden ticket. The stopgap quarterback, the the retread veteran, it doesn't usually work out for the long term. I mean, Ryan Tannehill has turned into a nice story in Tennessee. Retread, backup, they then signed him to a long-term deal. And so far, it's worked. That is the exception. That is not the rule. The rule is young guy, we load up around, and then we go for it when it's time. Buffalo, Cleveland, Kansas City, Philly, even when they got to the Super Bowl with Wentz. This is how it's done. Even the Bears, we all can bang on Trubisky, but because Trubisky wasn't making any money when they drafted him, it allowed them to go trade for Khalil Mack, and they end up getting to the playoffs, and they won a division. We can laugh at Trubisky. We can laugh at Matt Nagy now, but they got to a playoff game. They won a division. If not for Cody Parkey and the double doink, they might they win a game in the playoffs in all likelihood, and they were able to trade for Khalil Mack. That is the formula. That is the formula that I want. If you walked away from yesterday thinking about Mariota, look at the other sideline. That That's the situation that you should want. I mean, if I was going to trade for someone, I'd just trade for Stafford and say, hey, I got two years left and I got a more accomplished quarterback and a better quarterback. I mean, that's what I would do if I was going to trade, but I don't want to do that. Draft a quarterback, put pieces around him, and you can turn it around quickly. Like, I'm sorry for Anthony Lynn, but he's going to get fired. So when the Chargers move on and hopefully get a competent, you know, a more competent head coach, they're going to be in a position to all of a sudden be able to compete because they've got the quarterback who's in year two, who's got a lot of experience, who we know is really good, who doesn't make any money they can continue to add. That's the golden ticket. That's what we want. It is not Marcus Mariota. It was great for a game, and Mariota deserves to be somewhere. He's not going to be with me, though, under these circumstances. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. So we just spoke with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus. And along the lines of the quarterback, we actually had a really interesting conversation about this. I think the Patriots are going to beat Miami. I have them picked to win 16-12. to I think the Patriots are going to beat the Jets. I wouldn't pick them to beat Buffalo. So I've got the Patriots finishing 8-8. Eight and eight. And if they finish 8-8, eight and eight, they're going to be somewhere in that 13-19 to 19 range. So they're going to be out of the top four. So I asked Eric Eager, I said, look, if the Patriots end up in 13 through 19, are they too low in the first round to get a truly transcendent quarterback? What happens then? If they're t- Are they too low? And if they are, what do they do? Patriots fans probably want a quicker ascension to uh, stardom, and that's also less likely when you take a quarterback late. So I think, I think this might be one of the rare situations where the Pats trade up. Could the Patriots trade up in the draft? We always talk about the Patriots trading down. They're usually, they've been so good that they haven't needed an early first-round pick all the time, right? They've been good enough. They've had Tom Brady, and they've had a good enough veteran defense and and Bill Belichick that they can move from 29 down to 34 and gain, you know, pick 62 out of it. I mean, whatever. They've been able to trade down. They've done it a lot, and they did it this year. They traded out of the first round. But if I was going to trade up, this would have to be the year that I would do it. There might be five quarterbacks that go in the first round. If you want the quarterback that bad, and I think that you should, I'd have to try to move up a few spots. It worked for Kansas City when they got Mahomes. You've got to go after it. That is what 
if you have the young quarterback, you can truly turn things around quickly. Again, you're going to build around a young quarterback. You're going to give him a defense like Miami's given Tua. You're going to give him offensive weapons like the Chargers have with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. You're going to give him weapons like Cleveland has. You're going to give him weapons like Buffalo has. If you have the quarterback, though, to make the whole thing work, you can do all of that other stuff relatively relatively quickly. It can be a, a quick fix in the NFL. Getting the quarterback can make it a quick fix. Next year, maybe they do come out and go 5-11 and 11 if they play a rookie for most of the year. Maybe they do. But the next year, you can turn it around really quickly. That's what we see in the NFL all the time. It turned around for Arizona with Kyler Murray. It's turned around for Miami with Tua. Even though I don't think they're as good as their record would indicate, they've turned around with Miami and Tua. We see this all the time. It's the Giants. They're in their second year with Daniel Jones. Now they're five and eight, but they're better than they were a year ago. They've played a tough schedule at a division. They played the best division in football in the uh, NFC West. They played the best division in the AFC in the AFC North. So they've had a hard schedule. Next year, they should be significantly better again. They've got the quarterback. He doesn't make a lot of money. They've got what we think is the right head coach. Now they can go continue to spend. And they're going to get Saquon Barkley back. It can be a quick fix in the NFL if you get the quarterback in there and if you do it right. I would trade up if they think that they can get a guy who is a long-term answer who can be special. And I, Do they have to move up from 17 to 9 to do it, from 17 to 12? I mean, the cost is a lot, but it's not something that I wouldn't do. If I've got to move up six spots and I trade my first and a future second, I would do it. I would do it because the quarterback is that important. Getting the quarterback in the first round, by the way, gives you that very special fifth-year option. It gives you that fifth year of team control where the quarterback continues to not make a lot of money. That's what Buffalo has. That's what Cleveland has. That's what the Rams had with Goff. It gives you the opportunity to have that fifth year, that extra year open in the window. Otherwise, you end up like the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott, where... Yeah, you got good production for a couple of years, but that year of having to pay, that year of reckoning, that came up quicker and it created all a whole offseason worth of drama and the franchise tag and the transition tag and all, all of this stuff that was just noise all offseason. That's what the Patriots don't want. Get that fifth year, get the quarterback early. All right, Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. That fifth year option is why you see teams jump back in to the first round. Lamar Jackson got picked, I think, 32nd. Guys, let's sh- let's check that. Lamar Jackson's draft spot, I think, was 30, 32nd in the NFL, which means that the Ravens jumped back in. Yeah, Lamar Jackson was the number 32 pick in the NFL in 2018. The Ravens jumped back in to make sure that they got him, and they got that fifth year of team control, and it's a brilliant idea. I think that the Minnesota Vikings did it also. Teddy Bridgewater was in that same situation where he was drafted 32nd overall. The Vikings traded back in also. And I think, they yeah, they traded with Seattle. Seattle won the Super Bowl, beat Denver, and the Vikings traded with them to get back in, and they went and got Teddy Bridgewater. And now he got hurt, so that's the case of where it didn't work out. But that fifth-year option, if they had gotten to the playoffs in year two with Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater's first year... With Minnesota, he goes six and six. The next year, eleven and five, and they get to the playoffs. And if not for Blair Walsh missing a kick, they would have won a playoff game. They would have beaten Seattle, the team they traded with. It can go. It can go the other way, really, really quick for teams in the NFL. If the Pats think that a guy is there, only a few picks up, I would do it. I would do it, and I'd get another stopgap. Maybe it's Cam, and maybe it's Fitz, and maybe it's Taylor. And if they can hold them off, then they can hold them off maybe. And they can go to the playoffs with, with Cam again. I don't Whatever it is, I want the Patriots to be good and I want them to be good quick. If Cam, if a young guy sits the bench while Cam plays great next year, then so be it. But if they're 3-7, and seven, pull the plug on whoever the stopgap is, get the young guy in, and the next year in 2022, we are rolling. And we're in it again and the window's open. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do it every Friday, guys. Let's get to our Friday locks. It's good to be confident. It's not good to be cocky. The penthouse or the poorhouse will find out this weekend. 
It's time for Brady's Friday Locks on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, last week I went straight gambling because the Patriots had played on Thursdays, and I went one and two. So this week I'm going back to my usual style of including the Patriots in this Friday Locks segment. So my number one lock of the weekend, Cam and Tua are going to combine for less than 300 yards passing in this game. Combined, they are going to throw for less than 300 yards in this game. They average about 100 or about 350 between the two of them. So I'm giving them 50 less than they usually average. Cam's at 180 a game, two is at 175 a game. So together they average about 350. I'm going to say they're going to throw for 300 or less. 300 or less. The Dolphins' defense is good. The Patriots are going to be scared off. They're going to run. It's going to be low scoring, so the Pats aren't going to be getting blown out and have to pass. Pat's defense is good enough to confuse, and Belichick's good enough to confuse Tua. It's going to be a lot of short dink and dunk passes, at least that Tua's going to try to do. And if the Patriots can make tackles, four-yard passes become four-yard passes. So it's going to be a low-scoring, ugly, grinded-out football game. It's going to look like 1987, I think, like back when Flutie used to play. Number two, I may be a sucker. I was a sucker on the Giants last week. I might be a sucker on the Giants this week the other way. I'm going with Cleveland minus six. Giants have concerns. Their play caller is out on offense. James Bradbury, their top defensive player, at least in the back end, he is out. Their quarterback, Daniel Jones, might not play, and if he does play, he's going to be hobbled. So I'm going Cleveland minus six. They're on a short week coming off an emotional loss. This would be a huge bounce back from them if they can come and take care of business. I'll say that they will. And then number three, we're going to come in on Monday, and we're going to end up having to find time to talk about this, I'm sure. Kyrie Irving is going to have said or done something this weekend that's going to need to be spoken about on Monday. That's just my lock. The Celtics are playing the Nets tonight in the final preseason game of the year. Somewhere in there is going to be something that we have to bring to our to bring to your attention on Monday that Kyrie Irving said or Kyrie Irving did. And did you hear, speaking of Kyrie, guys, can I get the Barkley cut? All right, there it is. Charles Barkley was on ESPN Radio this morning, and he was just shredding Kyrie today. Did you hear? Listen to this. Uh, and it seems like he's like, no, I want you guys to know I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm like, well, first of all, you're not. You only went to college for six months. A lot of player, a lot of guys are smarter than you are. Just answer stupid basketball questions. And if you want to say something about social justice, say it and mean it because it's important and significant. But all that other stuff, like, yo, man, shut the hell up and talk basketball. <laughs> so Barkley goes off on Kyrie, and all I'll say is this about that. That is why people don't like him. It feels like Kyrie talks down to you. Kyrie does try to act like he's the smartest person in the room. Have you ever been in the room with that guy or that girl? I'm sure you have. They're trying to tell you how much they know. They're trying to talk above what they're able to talk. That's who Kyrie is. Everything he says feels disingenuous. Earlier this week, or uh, last week, at the end of the week, he basically said, I don't want to speak to the media because my time is more valuable than that. Now, that was honest. I guess I have to appreciate the honesty. But to act like you're so much better than people, that is where people draw the line. And and you can have people leave and give you a break if you're bad in the locker room. But if you're bad to the fans and you're bad to the media and that gets out to the fans, people are never going to forgive you. That is why people don't like Kyrie. He's just not – he's just disrespectful of people. He speaks like he's above them. And that is not a quality that people like to have. So I – I wanted to like Kyrie. I wanted to love Kyrie in Boston. I wanted to embrace him. It is not the way Kyrie has an off-putting personality because he talks like he's better than you. Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, we come back. We'll hear from Flutie. But first, I've heard a lot of things from Cam Newton this year. I have listened to a lot of sound bites of Cam this year. I'm not so sure I've heard him sound like this all Season. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Can 
I win my lock before Monday. Actually, we're all Kyrie Irving is already doing weird things. The Celtics and Nets haven't even started yet, and Kyrie Irving just walked around TD Garden throwing white chalk at every part of the you know front row. Walked around the court, threw chalk at the front row, and then proceeded to like put like a giant ashtray in the corner, like put something burning into a giant ashtray in the corner of the floor. I is he burning out the bad vibes of Boston? I don't know. I cannot wait until I can see something with sound that can tell me what that was. Because I said one of my locks was we'll talk about something weird with Kyrie Irving come Monday. Kyrie Irving's already doing weird things. The game hasn't even started. I can't wait to hear him talk post game now. Assuming he actually speaks to the media, I can't wait to hear him talk post game now. All right, let's get to Cam. I think Cam Newton, Cam Newton is worn down by this year. And I haven't thought that at all until what I heard Cam say yesterday. Cam was talking about the kind of mini buy that the uh that the Pats had after playing the Rams on Thursday night football and why those couple of extra days were good to have off. And for me it was it was extremely No, that's not it guys. Let's uh, here we go. Uh, it's business as usual. I think we did need um you know those days not only physically but mentally too. And, you know, you got guys that needed it for, you know, more reasons than some other guys did. And So when Cam says he mentions mentally you can need it, and he also says I think guys needed it for different reasons than other guys, I think Cam's talking about himself there. And I like Cam, and this doesn't change that. But I think Cam is finally worn down by this year. I think he's tired. I think he's tired of the circumstances. I think he's tired of everything this is taking out of him. I don't think it's the New England media. He has been great with the media. He's handled it well. His weekly call-in with WEI, he's great on press conferences, post-game, all of the above. He's handled that immaculately. The Boston media has not broken Cam Newton. What I do think is breaking Cam at the end of the season is this. I think he recognizes how hard all of this is. It's hard for him physically to maybe do certain things that he used to take for granted. It's hard for him mentally to come to this reckoning that maybe he's not the same as he used to be, and maybe he'll never get back to that. That's really hard for people who have been amazing to come to grips with. It's When you have had a gift at something and you've been able to do whatever you want for 20 years. I mean, look at Cam. Cam's 31 years old. He's been the best player in every field he's walked on, I'm sure, since he was like seven. So he's been able to do whatever he wanted on a football field for 24 years, essentially. And now you go through this reckoning that you can't. That is a really tough conversation to have with yourself. And it hurts. And, man, man, I can only imagine. It hurt me to know I couldn't play baseball anymore, and I played low-level, eh, mid-level Division three ball. Like, it hurt me to look in the mirror and say, hey, Brady, you're not a baseball player anymore. Can you imagine what Cam is going through with that? To say, I can still play, but I can't do what I used to do. That self-awareness, that reckoning has broken athletes before. And I want to be careful with this because I don't want to, because I don't know, because I don't know Cam. But I, I look at how I feel about the pandemic and I know the circumstances that cam is in and I just think the pandemic could be taking a a toll on him he had the virus that had to have been frustrating but the act of not being with your family and not having any true outlet away from that frustration that's a really hard situation cam has said that he wakes up every day angry that he's not around his family and I've heard so many athletes say, when I have a great game or I have a bad game, my kids don't care. My wife, um, you know, my dog doesn't care. I go home, the dog jumps on me, my kids roll, you know, play with me, and we watch TV and we play together and we be together and I take the dog out and everything else goes away. Camp doesn't have that this year. And that's got to be hard in these times. You're wondering about your own kids and your own family in another place, and you don't have that outlet to help yourself. That's got to be trying on you. And 
when things happen so frustrating, when physically you are questioning things, when mentally you are questioning things on the field, when you are coming to this reckoning and this self-awareness that you're not what you used to be, and you don't have that support system right there with you, we can all imagine how hard that is and how taxing that would be. Cam has been in Foxborough since the very end of July. This is four months for him now. And yes, professional athletes make money. They make more money than we do. We'd all probably say, well, hey, you want to pay me a million and a half bucks? Well, I'll be away from my family for four months and I'll be just fine. Well, maybe, but maybe Cam's not. Maybe Cam is not happy with that situation. And maybe the money doesn't matter to him because you know what? He's got a whole lot more money than the million dollars that he's making. I can see a world where Cam is not loving what's happening now. I mean, Miles Bryant is an undrafted defensive back for the Patriots. He said the pandemic has been good for him career-wise because he hasn't had any distractions. He's a young player, and he's been able to solely focus on football. I could see that, but I can also see the other way, where when all you can focus on is football and you have no other outlet... That can get to you, and that can be hard. He hasn't had any any distractions from his situation. The questions are piling up. Family's not there. Doubt is creeping in. And now, it's week 15, baby. Now, the doubt is creeping in about his future as a, as a whole in this league. It's not just about, hey, am I going to start next week? It's about, am I going to have a job next year? Is my career going to be over? At the end of the season... Yeah, you're hoping for the playoffs this year, but you're also thinking, am I going to be doing this exact same thing next year? And you just don't know. And you can see how hard that would be. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. So I've talked with Flutie about this before, and we'll get to the Daily Dose of Doug right now. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. Spread him out, throw the ball over the field, five yards at a time, basketball and grass, and go down the field. So let's listen to Doug. It's our Daily Dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I've talked about my plan for the Patriots to draft a quarterback and why I think it can turn around easily in the NFL if you get the right guy. As long as you get the right guy, you can turn it around quickly. And the reason why is, simply put, it's easier now for a young quarterback to come in and have success. When Doug was playing, he had to sit for two, three years before you could really grasp everything. In the NFL now, Justin Herbert plays in week two when he runs with the job. Joe Burrow looks good in week one. Guys do this all the time, and there's a few reasons why. And until very recently, I was always a, hey, draft a guy, sit him, and let him learn. Because that was just the conventional thought. That's not the conventional thought process anymore. Now the thought process is, is you can come in and you can be a star right away. There's a lot of reasons why, and, and Doug helped me see these. First off, guys train far more in the offseason now. It used to be you played three sports, football, basketball, baseball. When football was over, you moved to something else. When that was over, you moved to something else. Now, guys are playing football a lot. They're doing football-related things in the offseason. You know, I can play summer baseball. I can play fall baseball. I can do a lot. of Football, you've always just been able to play. You just play on Friday night in high school. Just play on Saturday afternoon in high school. Just play on Saturday in college. There hasn't been a another league to play in. But guys now, they're going to camps. They're going to... Elite 11 camp. They're playing seven on seven. Guys are just playing more than they used to. So when Flutie played, you picked up the football on August 1st. You put it down on November 1st. And you had to learn. You had to learn every year at the NFL level to learn a new piece of the game. Now, guys know this stuff a lot quicker because they've been seeing it, they've been doing it, and they've been coached on it at a younger age and more often. Two, Someone out there is going to laugh at me for this, but guys are playing video games now. Guys are playing Madden. Guys are learning things at a very young age about football that that guys in the 70s, guys in the 80s, guys in the 90s wouldn't have known. I mean, you play Madden starting at nine years old. 
And if you truly take it seriously, you're learning about fronts, you're learning about coverages, you're learning about audibles, you're learning about, you know, different packages, you're learning about, uh, you know, red zone, what we're, I mean, you're learning a lot of stuff at a young age just by playing video games. It doesn't mean that it's the, that that can turn you into an NFL superstar, but at least from a knowledge standpoint, guys are way ahead of where they used to be. The game is also now more receptive to taking in the college concepts and the high school concepts. They're catering the offenses now to these younger players, right? So a Lamar Jackson, a Kyler Murray, we can just take a bit of what they do well. And with that comfort and with that feel for what they do well, it becomes easy because it's not about learning 900 new things. It's about building on what you already know and what you already do well. And you're able to do some on-the-job training because you can always at least resort back to what you've done well. you still got to learn it. You've still got to learn everything, but you can play well learning where you couldn't do that before because guys now are giving you the opportunity to do at least, hey, let's do what he does well and we'll fill out the other things. We'll fill in the cracks. And then, you know, Flutie said guys are just naturally better athletes now. I think it really helps. When you come in and be an athlete, that just makes things simpler to be successful. You can do the zone read stuff. The quarterback run stuff is such a, a variable for defenses. They have to account for you as a runner, and it creates all kinds of headaches. So you can be successful right away without the total knowledge of changing pass protections, mic calls in the run game, and uh, reading coverages out, and progression reads front side to back side, all that stuff. So. It's take the ability to run, the ability to, um, the ability to run, the ability to play like you've always played takes out a lot of that learning curve because you just don't have to do some of it right away. You're still going to learn it. You're still being taught it, but you don't always have to apply it right away. So it's very, very interesting. There, guys are able to come in and play better. There's, there's more for them to fall back on early in their career, and that's been great stuff. The Patriots, if they get the right quarterback. And you still have to get the right guy. I mean, Josh Rosen didn't work. Patrick Mahomes has worked. You have to get the right guy. But if you do, you're able to build something really, really quickly. The Patriots don't need to be a seven-year rebuild. They don't need to turn into the Jaguars. They don't need to turn into the Jets. They don't need to have been the Browns. They can get it right, and then they can go pretty quickly. Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Guys, why don't we take a break? And what we'll do, can we do this? Let's turn who's saying what and crazy Twitter takes. Let's turn that into one. All right, we can do that. Good. Let's do that next. That's coming up on the Brady Farkas Show. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The The internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice that? All right, final segment of the week here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Um, we have a new contender here for crazy Twitter takes. I mean, did you see? Did you guys see this? Oh, you guys didn't see this. So, Jose Canseco, former M- MVP steroid whistleblower, he he's put up on Twitter. This is seven minutes ago. Do you want to date Jose Canseco? We are selecting candidates to attend a speed dating day with the MLB MVP slugger. If you are interested, send a picture and bio to showtimecustomer at gmail.com. Capacity will fill up fast, so send ASAP. Okay, there you go. Jose Canseco wants to do speed dating, and he's asking all the women of the world to send a picture and a bio. I can only imagine what that email inbox is going to look like. Like the people, the 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 people that are going to send pictures, the picture people that are going to send fake pictures. I mean, the whole thing is just a disaster waiting to happen. The whole thing is a disaster waiting to happen. But to Jose Canseco doing speed dating. So there we go. I want to end it with this. We talked a lot of football. We talked, you know, and I want to say this too. We talk a lot of football for a couple of reasons. Football is the most popular sport in America, so naturally we are going to gravitate towards football. We are the home of the Patriots, so we're going to gravitate towards the Patriots, and and you know that's just natural. When you are when you have a team's games, you have access to things, and Bob Sosi comes on, and 
we're going to talk a lot of Patriots. That's that's always going to be the case, at least as long as I'm doing this show. But it's also been the only thing going on for a long time. NBA season's going to start. By the time we come in, you know, after Christmas, we're going to have an NBA season starting. We're going to be talking we're going to be talking about the Celtics. UVM basketball is playing this weekend for the women's side. UVM men's hockey is playing this weekend. UVM women's hockey is playing this weekend. We're going to come in. We're going to be talking UVM. So if football is your thing, trust me, we're still going to be talking a lot of football. If football's not your thing, we're going to be opening it up here, you know, as the holidays happen because more sports are starting again. That's been the reason we've been so football dominant. And then we're, hot stove league is going on and spring training and what's going on with the labor discussions and baseball. So all of it's going to be happening. This is a, a full encompassing sports show. Football's on now and football has been the only thing on for a long time. So we've talked a lot of football and it's made sense. And soon it will make sense to talk everything else as well. So I'm looking forward to all of it because I love football. I love talking football, but I love talking about everything else too. I want to wrap up on a baseball note because that was the original crazy Twitter take that I saw. So crazy Twitter takes, closing thoughts, and who's saying what. It's all one of the same. So John or uh, Joel Sherman on MLB Network today was talking about he wants a change in the defensive shift strategy. He wants a rule made to combat the defensive shift in baseball. He wants no infielders on the outfield turf, and he wants – and Ken Rosenthal said he wants no more than two infielders on either side of the second base bag. I agree there should be a change to the infield shift. For a long time, I didn't. For a long time, I didn't think so. I think there should be now. We make rules in all sports to help the offense. We've got to make this rule in baseball to help the offense. Baseball has gotten... It's gotten too boring in some ways. It's it's gotten it's too, too much lack of action. It's a homer. It's a strikeout. It's a walk. The three true outcomes. We hear that a lot. I I don't want that. I want balls that are in play that used to be hits to be hits. If you're actually going to hit a line drive, I would like it to have a chance at falling. That is what I would like to see. I think the rule about not having infielders play on the outfield grass, I think that's good. That would negate the guy playing short right field. And a ball hit by a lefty can dump over into right field for a hit. A line drive ground ball can get through. If you can't stand on the outfield grass, then that would take out that position on the field now. And I think that would be big. I I used to be, you know, I was a pitcher. So I used to think, hey, wherever we can get outs, that's where I want to get. Now I'm looking at it differently. In the NFL, we've made it so you can't touch a receiver. Offense has gone up. It's made the game more exciting. I don't love 45-38 every game, but it's better than 6-3. In the NBA, you can't play zone defense. Why? They want the paint free so guys can go through, slash, and dunk. They want guys to drive, kick, and hit threes. The, the basketball offense, I mean, what's better? 106-104 or 79-76? 106-104 is better. In the NHL, scoring has increased. We like 5-4 hockey better than we like one nothing, unless it's the playoffs. And that's the truth. If we can get the offense back in Major League Baseball to being something other than just a home run, I would appreciate that. I think a lot of fans would. So if you're somebody who doesn't want to change the shift, I would say I disagree with you because we help offense in every sport. Let's help him in baseball. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Subscribe to the full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at the aforementioned WDEVradio.com. Show is sponsored by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Have a great weekend, everybody. Patriots, 10 a.m. on Sunday. Dinner Jazz is next. Go Pats.